Well, good morning, church. Good morning and Happy New Year. Welcome to Riverside. So glad all of you guys are here. You're in the house today. You made it despite the uh, frigid temperatures outside. I'm, I'm glad we're able to be here and be together on this day, January 2nd, after right after New Year's Day. Man, it's uh, incredible. How many of you are excited about a new year, a new start, 2022? Yeah? Good deal. Uh, I don't know about you. I, I always enjoy a new year. It's a fresh beginning, a new start a chance to begin again. And, uh, and I feel like that's important for us individually, but it's also important for us as a church to have this opportunity to sort of begin again, to remember who we are and why we're here. And this morning, really every week as we begin January together, I want us to kind of go back to it's a statement of faith, really a statement of mission that's important to, to us as a church here at Riverside. Uh, some, some of you that, that maybe you're new to Riverside, you haven't been here very long, this may be new for you. If you've been here very long, then you may remember these words. I wanna put these on the screen. And this morning, what I'd like to do is I'd like for us to read these words out loud together as we begin today. So if you would, uh, read these words with me. We are called to live different, to invite people to come together, invest in each other, and engage in what matters most because of Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but I really love those words. For me, it's not just a reminder of who we are and why we're here, but it's a reminder of of who Jesus was, who Jesus is, and why he came from heaven all the way to planet Earth. I mean, Jesus himself, he invited those who, who came around him to come together and invited them into a different life. Jesus was an inviter, and I love that about, about Jesus. Jesus invested deeply in those who chose to follow him, the disciples, and really in a wide variety of people. He, he, he called people to come together, and then he invested deeply in those relationships and those people, and he engaged over and over again. You see Jesus serving. He should have been the one that people came around to serve and, and do whatever he needed, but he was the one who consistently and constantly found opportunities to love and to serve those around him, engaging in what matters most, participating in a very literal way in making things on earth as they are in heaven. And that's, that's who we're striving to be. If you've been around here very long, you've heard us say this, I mean, we are perfectly imperfect. We are consistently inconsistent, <laughs> but we are striving. We are striving to live into this life that Jesus is calling us to live. And I don't know about you. I know some of you in the room, uh, you probably are the kind of people that make New Year's resolutions. Some of you probably aren't. Either way, in a couple of weeks, we'll be in the same boat, so it's all good. But if you are the kind of person who's looking to to make some New Year's resolutions, even if you're not, I wanna wanna give you a question this morning that, that may help you as we begin this new year, as you begin this new year. Think about this. Here's the question. What one thing, if it got better, would make the biggest difference? You may want to write this down or take a quick picture or screenshot this if you've got it open on your YouVersion Bible app. But this question, I think, is really, really helpful. What one thing, if it got better, would make the biggest difference? This is the kind of thing, right, that, that this time of year people think about. Man, if I just did this, if I, if I just this month, if I ate healthier, if I exercised more, if I if I'd signed up for that gym membership and then if I actually went to the, the gym 
to work out the exercise. If I just did this or if I just did that, it might get a little bit better. Maybe you've got some things like that on your, your New Year's resolution list. Here's one that you may not have that you may wanna put on there. Uh, you may wanna add this, drink more water. How many of you have that on your New Year's resolution list for 2023? Some of you, all right, good deal, me and you, bud. Yep, so drink more water. They say, I don't know how they figured this out, but they say that our bodies are made up of 60% water. Um, they say that you can go for a certain amount of time without food, like up to three weeks. Some of you are thinking three hours is about my limit, but they say you can go for three weeks without food. But if you try to go for more than two or three days without water, you'll die, all right? Water is essential to life. You simply cannot live without water. Some of you think, well, I can't live without coffee. I can't live without Coke. I can't live without tea. And those are all good things, but they're not essential things. Water, water is essential to life. A while back, my wife, Alicia, realized that our daughters weren't drinking enough water. So she bought them these cool water bottles. And I don't know if you can see this from where you are, but there's little lines on this water bottle and on each side, there's a time of day. And the idea is, you know, by, by 9 a.m., drink this much water. By, by 11 a.m., drink this much water. By 12, drink this much. And then you start all over again, you fill it up and you come down this side and you, you know, by four o'clock, have this much. By 6 p.m., drink this much. And the idea is that throughout the day, if you're constantly, consistently drinking water, it's going to improve your life. And there's science behind this, right? Water improves digestion. It helps you lose weight. It helps you sleep better. It makes you more productive. Water does all these incredible, wonderful things that, it, that it improve your life. Why? Because water is essential to life. But my guess is a lot of us, we don't spend a lot of time thinking about what's essential we spend most of our time thinking about what's important or really, if we're really honest, what's urgent. Uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower, a lot of you know this, 34th president of the United States. In 1954, he was speaking to the Second Assembly of the World Council of Churches, and, and he said this. He said, I have two kinds of problems, the urgent and the important. The urgent are not important, and the important are never urgent. And I think that's so wise. I think a lot of this, this, this is what happens for us, right? There are things that are important, but they're not urgent. And so what we do, we spend our lives, we spend our days we, moving from, from putting out one fire to the next, from moving from, from what's urgent now to then what's urgent next. And we're just moving from, from whatever it is, from one crisis to the next, from, from whatever, whatever rises to the top of the list. In that moment, whatever someone needs, we run from one thing to the next, taking care of all those urgent things, but not always doing what we know is important. You know, uh, for our kids, we teach them this at a young age, and, uh, and, and, and it's hard to learn. I know I, I had a hard time with it, that, you know, really it's important to study every night, you know? And if you do that, when the test comes, then, then you're good to go. But if you're anything like I was in college, you don't, you don't do that, right? You wait till you know it's it test day, and the night before, you stay up all night, you pull an all-nighter, you study, you cram, you try to get it all in your head, and then you go take the test, and you don't do as well as you could have or should have because it was important, but it wasn't urgent until it was. But at that point, it was too late. You know this if you're married. It's important to work on your marriage, right? But it doesn't always feel urgent. 
It's important to, to date your wife, to date your husband. It's important to, to, to talk about things that, that matter beyond just who's picking up who from school and who's gonna drive who to what. It's important to, to, to really take time to work on your relationship and build your marriage and build your life together. But it doesn't, it doesn't always feel urgent. And so what happens is you have these times in life and, and where you just tend to grow apart, Right? And you knew it was important, but it wasn't urgent until it was. And at that point, you try to go on a a marriage retreat or you go to counseling, and sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. It was important, but it wasn't urgent until it was. But at that point, it might have been too late. We know if if you're a parent in the room, you know it's important. You want to talk to your kids about what's most important. And for a lot of us in the room, that's Jesus, right? We want our kids to grow up not just knowing about Jesus, but knowing Jesus. We want them to to know Jesus, to love Jesus, to serve Jesus with their lives. And we want them to to learn that and understand that and grow up with that deep desire to know him, right? And it's important, but it's not always urgent. And what happens is so many other things pop up in our lives and our schedules and our days, and, and they're so urgent, and some of those things are, are good things. In fact, a lot of those things are good things, but they distract us or take our time away from, from having conversations that we wanted to have or doing things that we knew were important. And all of a sudden we, we look up one day and they've grown up and we wonder if we missed the opportunity to teach them about what really matters. It was important, but it wasn't urgent until it was. But at that point we think, oh man, is it too late? What one thing, if it got better, would make the biggest difference? That's one of those questions that just has a way of, of clarifying what is really important. And Jesus, he had this ability to, to present people with these kinds of opportunities to choose between what was really important, what was essential for life, and those things that maybe weren't as important as they thought. And some people, they would listen to what Jesus said and they would lean in. They were filled with faith and curiosity and wonder, right? Other people, they heard what Jesus said and they thought, hey, I think he's right. Hey, that that may even be important. But it didn't seem urgent. And so instead of leaning forward in faith, they kind of just leaned back into the life that they were already living because that was easy, that was known, that was comfortable. And as far as they knew, what Jesus said wasn't, was important, but it wasn't urgent until it was. Over and over and over in the Gospel of John, we have these kinds of stories. And what, what I'd love for us to do this month in, in January is spend time in the Gospel of John. If you have your Bibles or your Bible app, I'd love to invite you to go ahead and open up. You can open up to John chapter 10. John's Gospel is is very unique. Uh, Tradition holds that John, one of Jesus' closest friends and followers, is the author of the Gospel of John. And it's it's so interesting because it it was the last Gospel written. If you're looking in your New Testament, you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then you've got the Gospel of John, and, and the story is really, is really different. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are all unique, but they're all similar in, in, in a lot of ways. John is completely different. You know, John, in the, in the, the Gospel of John, you've got, you've got Jesus doing a lot of teaching, but unlike Matthew, Mark, and Luke, in the Gospel of John, he doesn't use any parables. 
In the Gospel of John, you've, you've got these miracle stories that you can't find anywhere else. Like you may have heard at the time that Jesus turned water into wine. That only happens in the Gospel of John. And in the Gospel of John, you've got these really, really incredible moments that happen in the life of Jesus that, that Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't tell us about. Moments like when Jesus met a Pharisee named Nicodemus in the middle of the night. Uh, moments like when Jesus met this woman at this well in Samaria. And moments like when Jesus was in the upper room and he washes the disciples' feet. Those stories, they only happen in the Gospel of John. John is incredibly unique, and he gives us a unique perspective uh, on the life of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, and what was really important to Jesus. And in John chapter 10, what you find is this moment where Jesus is now in Jerusalem. And he's surrounded by a, a large crowd of people, and, and, and you, could, you could really break this group up into a lot of different categories, but, but there's probably three main categories these people fall into, right? You've got, you've got these religious leaders, mostly known as Pharisees, who are there, and, and, and they oppose Jesus. Not all of them. There's a few that, that believe is, what he's saying is true, but, but by and large, most of them are in opposition to Jesus. Then you've got uh, a group of people who are his disciples. Like they've, they've heard Jesus teach, they've seen what he can do, and, and they're all in. They have decided they're gonna follow Jesus. Now, they're not, they're not completely sure what that means yet. They don't really fully understand what they've signed up for, but they've, they've decided to lean in with Jesus. And then you've got other people who, who also believe that Jesus is God's Messiah, but they've got different expectations of Jesus. They, what they want to do is they want to go ahead and crown him as king. They want him to be their leader, and, and they want him to lead a revolt against Rome, overthrow them, overthrow their oppressors, so that he can truly be the king of Israel, the king of the Jews, and they can rule and reign once again as a sovereign nation. So you've got all these different people who think different things about Jesus, who all have different expectations of Jesus. Some want him to go away, some want to follow him wherever he goes, and some want him to be king and to rule and to reign. And, and in front of all of these people, Jesus in this moment wants to make it crystal clear why he came from heaven to earth. He wants to make it crystal clear what is most important. And so in John 10, verse 10, he says these words. You may want to underline this, highlight this, screenshot this, whatever you do. This is important. John 10, 10, Jesus says, The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. Now, when you just jump into the story right here, you may be thinking, who's the thief? Who is Jesus talking about? Is he talking about those religious leaders, those Pharisees who oppose him? Or are, are those the thieves he's talking about? Are the thieves those, those other people that came before him that said they were the Messiah, but they weren't the Messiah that were trying to lead the people in a different direction? Are those the thieves, the robbers that, that Jesus is talking about? Or is he talking about someone or something else? Like who is the thief? Who is Jesus talking about? Well, Jesus is, is leaning into an image here that everybody in the crowd, although they were very different, they all would have understood this image, this metaphor that he was using. He's setting himself up as the good shepherd. And every good shepherd, their primary responsibility was to protect, to defend the sheep because there were thieves, there were robbers, there were wolves, there were lions and tigers and bears, oh my. There were those who would literally come and try to steal sheep, eat sheep, destroy the flock. And Jesus wants them to understand there are thieves, there are robbers, there are those who would come against you who would seek to kill and steal and destroy your life. And he wants the people to understand that, that he's different. 
And his purpose, like every good, like every trained shepherd, was to defend and protect the sheep. But not just that. Jesus came to do something more. He says the thief's purpose is to kill and steal and destroy. And then he says this, I have come. I came that they, that you, that all of you who hear my voice and follow me, all of you who are my sheep, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Another translation says it this way, I came that they may have life, that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. So get this, this is the image of the image of life that Jesus offers. He says, I came so you could have life and life all the way to the brim. But not just to where it's so full, I can't hold anymore. I want you to have life that overflows. And I love this image of the life that Jesus offers. Because I think for so many of us, what we've decided, what we've been convinced of, what we've believed is that the life that Jesus offers The life that Jesus is inviting us into, it's really a life of restraint. Like the Christian life, to to believe in Jesus, to follow Jesus, to go to church, to be a Christian. What that means is that now you are called to live a life of restraint. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't go there. Don't whatever. It's a list of things that you can't do. Don't think that. Don't say that. Don't be that way. Like the, the way to live the Christian life is to live this life of constant restraint. But this isn't ever what Jesus teaches or taught his people. He said, the life that I came, I came, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly, life to the full so that you can have life, life that overflows with things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, gentleness, humility, forgiveness, like every fruit of the spirit, every good thing that God has to offer, this is what he wants to offer you. This is the life. This is the invitation he's he's offering you. Come and experience this life, a life that overflows with every good gift of God. This word life in the original language, it's the word zoe. In Greek, it literally means life. And so again, just to kind of set up this middle picture for you, in the gospel of Matthew, Matthew's story of the life and ministry of Jesus, Matthew uses the word life, Zoe, seven times. Mark uses it four times. Luke uses it six times. So if I've done my math right, somebody check me, but I think 17 times Matthew, Mark, and Luke use this word Zoe, which means life, in their stories of Jesus, right? The gospel of John, Jesus speaks of this life 32 times. Like John is consumed with this idea, fixated on this idea that this is why Jesus came, so that you can experience this abundant, full, overflowing life. I just imagine at some point in John's life, probably when he was older in age, because this was the last gospel written, written years, decades after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. One day, John's writing this story about Jesus, his story, his version of the story of the life, the teaching, the ministry of Jesus. And he's thinking, I want everyone who reads this story, I want them to get this. This is why he came. Jesus came to offer you life and not just any life, abundant life, full life, overflowing life. I want everybody to understand this is the whole reason he came. 
Not just life in the sense of one day when you die, you'll get to go to heaven, like life that begins right here, right now. And he couldn't stop writing about it. In fact, let me just show you just a few things that John wrote about, that Jesus talked about this kind of life. You know, one of the most famous ones, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. This is Jesus talking, by the way. I don't know if you know that, but if you look this up, John three sixteen, in most of your Bibles, it's in red letters. These are the words of Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, so whoever believes in him wouldn't perish, but have what? Everlasting, eternal life. When? One day when you die? No, this is present tense language. Have it now in the here and now. In John 5, Jesus says this. He says, I tell you the truth. Those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have, not will have, not one day will experience, not when you die and go to heaven, you'll get this. No, if you listen to my message, believe in God who sent me, you will have eternal life. They will never be, this is huge, by the way, never be condemned for their sins, but they have already, this has already happened. They've already passed from death to life. In John 6, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And then he says this, it's my father's will that everyone, that all who see his son and believe in him should have now, right here and now, will have eternal life. And I will raise them up on the last day. And John goes on and on and on telling us about all the times Jesus speaks about this rich, full, overflowing, abundant life that Jesus has to offer. I, I, I just imagine one day John waking up and it just hitting him like a ton of bricks. Oh, I get it now. Like this, this is the invitation of Jesus. So many people, are struggling with a life of sin, living in sin, living in disobedience to God and, and at this point in history, in disobedience to the teachings of Jesus. And because they're living, they're trapped in, in sin, doesn't even matter what kind of sin it is, they're living in death, which sounds weird to say, but they're, they're, they're already dead. Like, I don't know if you know this, you can be physically alive, but spiritually dead. Like if you read the teachings of Jesus, what you begin to understand is that death, death isn't, oh, one day you die. Death is living in sin. Death is living in separation from God. Sin equals death, which equals separation from God. But what Jesus came to offer, John just realized this, and it was one of those moments where everything just exploded. Jesus is life. And to live in the forgiveness of Jesus, the forgiveness that Jesus came to offer, to live in the grace of God, that's to experience life, which, oh, by the way, is to experience relationship with God. And some of you know this. Some of you could stand up here today and you could testify to this truth that there was a time in your life when, when you decided to follow Jesus. You said, I believe that Jesus is who he says he is. I'm ready to confess him as the Lord and Savior of my life. And from that day, everything was different for you. It didn't exempt you from a life of hardship or pain. In fact, you could probably say you've, you've had your share of struggles. But from that day forward, you've never been alone. You've never walked alone. Because you have the spirit of the living God living inside of you. 
This is what happens when you make that confession of faith, right? This is what happens when you say, I believe Jesus is who he says he is. And I wanna give my life to following him. It's not a call to a life of perfection. It's just a, uh, uh, an invitation to follow Jesus and to live your life following his ways. It's the narrow way, but it is a way that leads to life and not just any life, abundant, full, overflowing life. And, and a lot of you have made this confession. A lot of you have, have made this decision and some of us, even in spite of that, aren't experiencing this life, this abundant life. And maybe it's because we believed the lie that the life that Jesus offers is a life of restraint. And maybe today your aha moment is, oh no, it's not. The invitation of Jesus is into a, the abundant life, a life of joy and love and peace and patience and kindness and all the things that, that God has to offer, all the goodness of God. And some of you, maybe you haven't made that decision. And if not, I, I wanna just ask why not? If you believe Jesus is who he says he is, why not go ahead and step into this life that Jesus has to offer? As we begin a new year together, this is my invitation to you. Take Jesus up on his offer. Because here's the deal. Jesus wants you to experience life the way God always intended you to experience life. Real life, abundant life, overflowing life, life in relationship with God, living life to the full. Here's something else that Jesus once said. He said, those who drink the water that I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. If you wanna improve your life, you can drink this water. It'll improve your life. If you wanna change your life, drink the water from the well that never runs dry. Jesus wants to offer you that real, abundant, overflowing life. This is the invitation of Jesus. Church, if you would, let's stand. I don't think they make it, but it'd be really cool if, if they had something like this that we could all take home today that was sort of a, a spiritual water bottle, you know? 8 a.m., talk to God. 9 a.m., read the words of Jesus. 10 a.m., do something kind for somebody. 11 a.m., tell God thank you for three things. And all throughout the day, just taking an opportunity to experience the rich, the full, the satisfying, the overflowing life that Jesus has to offer every one of us. Here's the deal, later today, maybe tomorrow, maybe Tuesday, you're gonna get distracted from what's important because something that came up that's urgent. But I just wanna encourage you to remember what is essential. And I wanna encourage you to step into the water, to drink water from the well that never runs dry, to remember that Jesus is that water and that his invitation to you is an invitation into life and not just a good life, not just a better life, but the best life. Not a life free from pain, but a life where you will never ever walk alone. And a life where every morning you will experience anew the mercies and the grace of God. This is the life that Jesus came 
to offer every one of us for all those, for all those who want to take them up on the invitation. They discovered something that changed everything for them. And I pray that we'll find something that changes everything for us too. If you would, let's pray. God, this is my prayer today for your church here at Riverside, that we would step into this invitation that you have extended to each and every one of us, both individually, God, but also collectively as a church. As we begin this new year together, I pray that we could step into this invitation that Jesus is life. So many of us have been living in death, living separated from, from you. But Father, I pray as we begin this new year, the one thing that we could do that would make the biggest difference is to remember that your invitation, Jesus, that's the one. That's the invitation into the life that our souls are longing for. And I pray that we would accept that invitation. And that through your Holy Spirit, we would experience the life that you have to offer each and every one of us. God, this is my prayer to the name of Jesus. The church said, amen. amen.